So uh, today is actually the first Sunday, as, as some of y'all know, today is actually the first Sunday in what we call the season of Lent in the Christian calendar. And uh, basically, you know, as we look forward to Easter, as we look forward to what we call the atonement, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, we utilize this 40-day period as a time that's kind of set aside for us for self-reflection, for self-examination. And uh, if you happen to have participated in the Ash Wednesday service here at the church, you'll recall that I mentioned several ways that we can go about doing this, uh, things that we can do, tools that we have at our disposal that we can utilize through this process of self-examination. Um, the ones that I specifically mentioned, and I mentioned them this morning in my prayer, as a matter of fact, too. Y'all may have picked up on that. Uh, but they were prayer, they were fasting, uh, self-denial, and reading and meditating on Holy Scripture. These tools that we have, these, um, these spiritual disciplines or these spiritual practices, those are what we call in the Methodist Church traditionally as means of grace. If y'all were here last week, uh, y'all know that I briefly talked about this idea of means of grace. Several weeks ago, we did an entire sermon on it. Um, but basically, what, what the means of grace are to us are, are, are these means, these tools, these practices that we have at our disposal where we're able to commune and we're able to connect with God and allow Him space to do the transforming work in our hearts and our minds and our lives that he already wants to do with us. So over the next 40, 40 days, well, we're beyond 40 now, we're 37-ish. Um, so over the next 30-something days, what I just encourage you, just like I encouraged the folks the other day, is, is to engage in these practices. And that's just a few of them that you can do. But really, really engage in those practices, not just during Lent, um, but all times. You know, th th that's how we change. Th th these are the tools that God has given us to effect change in our lives, to affect change in the way that we think, to affect change in our hearts and our words and our actions. That's how this happens. You know, I've talked to you guys about the fact that self-will in, in the Christian tradition really has nothing to do with it. Willpower, what we like to call willpower, that, that really doesn't work. If we were honest with ourselves, the, this whole idea of willpower is pretty weak and really, really actually works. What happens, what works in, in real authentic heart change is the grace of God and the work of God, and that's why we have what I'm calling our means of grace, our spiritual disciplines, our tools, whatever you want to call them. That's why we have these things. So I just encourage you to do that, especially uh, since we're highlighting this idea of self-examination over the next 40 days. Um, but really, you know, at all times, if you want to affect change in your life, if you want God to work into your life and into your heart, this is, this is how it happens, basically. It's not going to happen through osmosis, and it's not going to happen through our own self-will and our own willpower. Pray fast, read and meditate on Holy Scripture, all of those types of things. But you know, another primary theme uh, during this season of Lent is, is, uh, is, is, uh, is a word that sometimes kind of puts a bad taste in our mouths, and that is that word, repentance. Uh, you know, hearing that word might bring about with some of you a deep feeling of guilt or a deep feeling of shame. It may bring about a deep feeling of, uh, of dread or a deep feeling of fear for God and uh, my hope today during this brief sermon is, is I want to change that for you if that's how you feel when you if that's how you feel that's how you think when you hear that word repent or that word repentance I want to change that for you today and I, and I want you to begin seeing that word repentance for the beautiful and the spiritually freeing thing and practice that it really is First off, real quick, we're going to take a look at our scripture, and it comes out of the book of Psalms. And uh, if you've been in the church for a long time, you undoubtedly are familiar with this one particular psalm. I know Brother Wayne has told me this is one of his, one of his favorites as well. 
But these particular verses are just a great model for us to see what this whole idea of, also confession, um, what this whole idea of repentance really, really looks like. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of context here in a second. But starting, we're going to go through 1 through 12, 51, 1 through 12. The psalmist writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's the word of God for the people of God. And I would encourage you, if you're not familiar, or even if you have are familiar, to go back at some point, re-familiarize yourself with this uh, particular psalm, or familiar, if, if you're not familiar with it, familiarize yourself with it. It's a, it's a beautiful psalm. The, whole, the, the entire chapter is absolutely a beautiful psalm. Uh, it's a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer of confession, a beautiful prayer of repentance. It's a beautiful prayer of, of restoration uh, uh, and, and reconciliation to God. Um, so I encourage you during this week to, uh, to go back and spend some time with that, spend some time in the, with, with this whole psalm. Uh, but let me just give you a little background about, about what's going on here, just to remind you folks who are familiar and to make it new to some of you folks who may not be. But traditionally, Psalm 51 has been uh, ascribed as a prayer of David. If you don't know who David was, David's a major figure in the Old Testament. He was a king, and he was, uh, he, he, he was what the Bible describes as, as a man after God's own heart. Uh, he's somebody that we've always held up in the Jewish tradition and in the Christian tradition, David was also a horrible sinner. And that is putting it very lightly. David is probably one of the worst sinners you will find in the entire biblical text. Let me tell you a little bit about what David did and where traditionally this, uh, this, this, this prayer of repentance comes from. David took it upon himself to have sex, to have an adulterous affair with a woman named Bathsheba. Now in the church, a lot of times what we've been taught in, in the church is that this, this affair that they had was kind of mutual, that there was mutual consent between, uh, between Bathsheba and David. A lot of people believe now, today, that this was more of a case of rape than it was mutual consent. Regardless, it was an adulterous affair, and David impregnated Bathsheba, and put together a plot to, that eventually led to the murder of her husband. So he's had this adulterous affair, he's impregnated her, he has essentially murdered her husband, and what am I leaving out here? Uh, the infant winds up dying, dying in infancy, by the way. So he's made a lot of mistakes. He did some really, really, really bad stuff. He broke, at bare minimum, with that one incident, he broke at least five of the Big Ten Commandments. 
So what happens here in 51 is David has been confronted by another guy. I won't get into that whole story, but he's, he's confronted with his sins. And what you find here traditionally here in Psalm 51 is uh, David's prayer of repentance for that particular incident. Um, however, now his, his, the effects of this incident had long, were, were long-lasting. Um, and this is, the why, this is why we think we, this thing that we call sin in the church is so, is so detrimental because it doesn't just affect me. It doesn't just affect us as individuals. It spreads out and it hurts other people. It's like a snowball. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I really wish that we had the chance, but it would take hours for me to go back and show you all the ways this one little incident, this one little, this, well, it's not a little incident by any means, but this one incident affected so many people over such a long period of time. Like that snowball, it just built and built and built all over this one decision to have this adulterous affair. They didn't just harm him. They didn't, they didn't, it didn't just harm David. It harmed many, many, many others. Nonetheless, David is confronted with his sin, and he's clearly heartbroken over his actions, and, and he repents. He authentically repents of his sins. And you can almost, one of the reasons I love this psalm so much is you can almost feel his emotions as you're reading through this chapter. You can almost feel the anguish coming out in the words, in the word, jumping off the page. Um, these are the words of a person who knows not only that they sinned against God, but these are the words of, of a person who knows that they have called a, caused a lot of pain. So he confesses. He turns away. He pleads for God. I love that one of the, I think it's verse 10, where he says, Created me a, new, a clean heart, O God. But he pleads for God to renew his spirit and place within him that clean and that pure heart. So that's the whole, ba- that, not the whole background, that's the... Uh, that's the Cliff Notes version of the background of what's going on here in Psalm 51 and this, this prayer of David, this prayer of repentance. And it's a big, it's always traditionally has been a big emphasis in our Methodist tradition. Y'all know that we're kind of going through a series of, of, of sermons here and there that talk about things that we emphasize in our Methodist tradition. And uh, this is not one of those particular sermons, but I will tell you that repentance, this idea of repentance has always, always, always been a major emphasis in our Wesleyan and our Methodist tradition. John Wesley, who is uh, credited as being basically the founder of, of Methodism, wrote this. He said, our doctrines, this is what we believe, he said, our doctrines are but three. Holiness, if y'all were here two weeks ago or one week ago, whenever it was, we talked about holiness. Faith and repentance. That's our doctrines. Holiness, faith, and repentance. So let me go back to what I was talking about in the beginning, this, this, this fear that we have of this word, repentance, this fear or this, this anxiety that, that, that comes into our minds and our hearts when we hear that word oftentimes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be completely honest with you. you know, there was a time, and it wasn't, it wasn't too awful long ago, when I would absolutely loathe, despise that word repentance. So I'm in, I, I understand it. I get it. I'm, I, I am with you 100%. That little term, that little term has the capacity to elicit so much, ne- so many negative responses for many of us. Most likely, it's probably due to the harshness by which that concept has probably been preached to you at some point in your life. Undoubtedly, you probably you hear that word and, and you, you, get this, you get this imagery of this, this evangelist or this preacher it enters your minds when that word is pronounced, and it's one of those fiery, fiery preachers who's pointing his finger in your face. And you know, the fact of the matter is, whether it's whether it's intentional or not, the message that we often receive when we when we when we talk about this word repentance, or when we heard this hear these messages on repentance, 
we receive this image of an angry God who's just itching to send us to hell if we don't get everything right. It, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, that, that it's been preached that way. Um, I've been exposed to it. I'm sure many of you guys have been exposed to it. Well, it's unfortunate so many lives and so many people, countless people, have been repelled by Christianity because of poor proclamation of this concept or this idea of repentance. But what happened to me, you know, is after coming to a true understanding of what it means, of what repentance really, really means, I now see it as one of the most beautiful aspects of our faith. To repent, and this is literally what it means, to repent basically just means to change your mind. In the Christian tradition, basically the, what repent means, what repentance is, is reorienting our minds and our hearts from self-will, from sin, whatever, whatever you want to call it away from ourselves and towards the will of God. Now, what do we know, Bemis United Methodist, is the ultimate will of God? Somebody please get this right. Let's <laughs> just say it louder. <laughs> what's, what's the overall will of God for our lives? There you go. To love God and to love others. It's turning away from sin. It's recognizing that and turning our minds and our hearts in the direction of the will of God, simply loving God and loving other people. It means to go the opposite direction. It, makes, it means to make a complete 180-degree turn. The bad news, church, is that we're all sinners. We're all on, on a level playing field here in this room, even the guy standing up here talking to you this morning. We're all sinners. We can't help it. It comes from our fallen nature. We can't deny it. We can't, we can't stop it. It's part of us. The good news is, oh, and we all have different sins that we struggle with, by the way. All of us. Nobody's excluded from this thing. I think of it as a, kind of as a disease. It's just something we've all got. Nobody's excluded from it. Nobody's immune from it. But the good news is that we have a God who cares. God doesn't hate people, church, and that was always the impression that I kind of got when I heard those messages. God doesn't hate people. God doesn't like sin. It's the sin that God doesn't like. It's the disease that God doesn't like. One of the reasons God doesn't like it so much, and I told you guys back, this, back when we were going over this, uh, um, uh, the good and present God, good, yeah, good, the good, the good, what was it? Somebody help me. Good and, good and beautiful God sermon series. One of the reasons that he hates sin so much is that he knows what it does to us. Sin always has consequences, folks. All day long. We'll go back to the story of David and Bathsheba. It wasn't just a sin of David against God. It was a sin of David against other people. And they saw the consequences of it. Now, again, if you want to go back and do a nice thorough Bible study, you will see throughout the life of David how that one incident, that one incident made such an impact throughout his lifetime and throughout his reign as king, by the way. Negative consequences because of that one little incident. It hurts other people. God hates sin because not only does it hurt him, it hurts me, for one thing. God don't want to see me hurt, believe it or not. God don't want me to hurt myself. He doesn't want you to hurt yourself. He doesn't want our sins to hurt other people. Inevitably, that's what happens. You can't stop it. It is, it is, it is, it is, a, it is part of, nat what you, if you want to call it, natural law. Sin always has consequences. And it always trickles down. 
So we go back to some of this stuff that we've been talking about recently. God has our best interest in mind. And that's what this, that's what this whole idea of repentance is. The, 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 the idea of repentance to repent is, is, is to recognize that, that conviction that God places in our heart. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And he will initiate that con- a, a conviction in our heart because he's looking out for us. He's not a wrathful, vengeful, vengeful God who's looking out to get us. He's looking out for what's good for us, folks. And he'll initiate that. And we recognize that. And we experience that change of heart through God's grace and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And we make that decision. And I do believe that is a conscious decision. The Holy Spirit convicts and he gives us a choice. Are we going to continue to go our way against loving God and loving other folks? Or are we going to go the way of God? Are we going to keep on hurting ourselves? Are we going to keep on hurting other people whose lives we touch? Folks, let me just be honest with you. We talk about social sins, too. You want to talk about the ramifications of sin? Think about all the people that your sin is affecting that you will never, ever, ever meet in your lifetime. That's how big this thing is. Y'all think COVID was something big? You think that was, you think that was a pandemic? Sin is the ultimate pandemic. It affects so many people, so many people for so many years. That's how big it is. God didn't want that for us. God didn't want us hurting each other. He doesn't want us hurting ourselves. So when you're convicted of that, you got that choice. And it's a beautiful thing. And that's why, again, I regard it as a beautiful teaching today, as a beautiful aspect of our faith. Because it's not about God being mean. It's not about God being ugly. It's not about God being vengeful. It's not about God being hateful because God's not hateful. It's about God caring enough for me and caring enough for his creation to convict me, to convict me as an individual, to convict us as churches, local churches, larger churches, to convict us as communities, to take a look at ourselves. Am I walking the path of loving God and loving others? Am I going to turn away from it? There's a pastor, an old, this is, this is the early 1900s. This guy, was, was, uh, his name was J. Heinrich Arnold. He was a, he was a pastor and uh, an author. And he kind of, he wrote these words. I found these in one of, the, one of my many, many devotionals that I have laying around the house. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it's uh, these are words that he wrote about the idea of repentance, the doctrine of repentance. And uh, I think it's a, just a wonderful, a beautiful summation of what I'm trying to get at here. He wrote that people like, or people dislike, the call to repentance because they don't understand what repentance means. Repentance does not mean self-torment, nor does it mean being judged by others. It means turning away from the corruption of fallen humankind and letting our hearts be moved by the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. Tell me that's not beautiful. Anyone, anyone who has gone through true repentance knows that it makes the heart melt like wax. I couldn't have wrote those words. That's the most concise, one of the most beautiful summations of the idea of repentance that I have ever read in my entire life. And it also reflects my own experience, and that's what I'm going to wrap up with here. I believe in repentance today because I've experienced it in my own life. You know, it's not just words on a piece of paper. It's not just in... I'm not trying to demean the Bible, but it's not just words that I'm reading off of a page. 
any longer. It's not just words that I'm reading out of a textbook. It's not just a doctrine that I'm studying. It's a true thing that has occurred in my life, and it's a true thing that I've seen occur in so many in the lives of so many other people. I've shared I've shared with you guys some of my, some of my story before. Y'all know that I'm y'all know that I'm in recovery from substance abuse and alcoholism and all that good stuff, along with along with God knows a, a whole list of other things probably. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, and I tell people that all the time. You know, the fact that I don't drink or the fact that I don't take substances, mind-altering substances into my body any, any longer. In the bigger picture, that's really small. That's really a small piece of, 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 the, of the bigger picture, folks. Because it's not just the outward things, it's the inward things that I've seen change in my life because of my confession, because of my repentance, because of the grace and the mercy of God. It is a heart change. The miracle is not the lack of alcohol. The miracle is not the lack of substances in my life. The miracle is that I am not quite as selfish as I used to be. The miracle is that I'm not as angry as I used to be. The miracle is that I'm a little, a little more humble than I used to be. The miracle is that I love people a little more than I used to. The miracle is that I'm a little less selfish. The miracle is that I'm a little less self-oriented and a little more other, others-oriented. That's the miracle of repentance. And that's why I preach it the way that I preach it and I believe in it the way that I believe in it. Because if this guy can change, if God can do that kind of work in me, I know he can do it in the rest of us. And it's a continual work. It's continuing. And, 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 and when, I, when I see these things in my own life, I'm just... I'm never, it never ceases to, to, to really amaze me. And I, and I don't say that to be trite. It's the truth. It's the truth. That's what repentance brings. That's what confession brings. That's what God wants for us. It's not this ugly, nasty word, folks. It's beautiful. And that's my hope for y'all. Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for this season of Lent. Um, Lord, may we utilize this time in, um, that we have for self-reflection. Maybe, maybe utilize this time for self-examination. Maybe, maybe look where we are failing to love you, areas where we're failing to love others. I ask, God, that you bring these things to mind, bring them to heart, God, not only help us to recognize them, but to help us to turn away from them so that we may reflect you more in our words, in our actions, in our lifestyles, in our relationships. Thank you, dear God, for your written word. Thank you, God, for Jesus, who is the living word. May we model our lives off of him. For your glory, for our good, and for the good of every life that we touch. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.